Good morning, SunWest, and thanks again to our worship teams for leading us in worship uh, every single week. We really do appreciate it. Um, we're going to jump right into the book of Mark again. Last week we finished in Mark chapter 10, talking about the rich young ruler. That was uh, where we wound up, and now we're going to continue and end uh, the rest of the chapter 10 today. And as we'll see, Mark is bringing uh, multiple stories, but he's he's bringing a common theme together and helping us to maybe see something uh, with new eyes. And so I, I pray that you would have the eyes to see uh, what the Spirit is teaching us through His Word this morning. The title of the sermon is Down is the New Up. Down is the New Up. And we're looking from Mark chapter 10, verse 32, all the way to verse 52. And that's uh, the scope of what we're covering this morning. Uh, and as I mentioned, we finished last week the rich young ruler. And now uh, Jesus is talking to the disciples on the road or on the way, as Mark writes it. And on the way, uh, we've talked about that a little bit. And on the way is referring to the way towards Jerusalem, the way towards the cross. And so Jesus is inviting his followers to follow him and most of uh, the story of Mark, as we've seen so far, has been uh, taking place at this lake up in Galilee. And now they are, they're journeying, they're descending uh, from there uh, down towards Jerusalem, uh, where we know that the story is going to hit its climax when Jesus gets to the cross. So Mark chapter 10, verse 32, uh, they're on the way, and this is what, what Jesus tells them in verse 32. Uh, he, he gives them a, a prediction of the cross. Uh, and before we look at that specifically, I want you to know that there's three passion predictions that Jesus gives in the book of Mark. 831, 931, and 1033 to 34. And they're the, the exact same type of prediction that Jesus gives, tells them the type of death that he's going to suffer. And we notice that all three times, the disciples don't get it, that they miss it, that they had an expectation on Jesus as the King and the Messiah. And he doesn't quite fit their expectation and and now we find the third and final prediction that Jesus gives and this is what he says see we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him and after three days he will Arise. So this is uh, the third prediction of Mark, and each time Jesus predicts his face, like I said, the disciples demonstrate they just don't have the capacity to see it, to hear it, to understand it. Uh, and we notice again here they miss it. And instead of being concerned, they worry about themselves and they start trying to figure out who's going to be the best and have the best seats in the house. Uh, and, and this is the conversation that they have. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask you. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? We're going to come back to that question. But what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. They were looking for a position of honor. And so Jesus said, this is the type of death that I'm going to experience. This is the journey. This is the way. Uh, we're going to Jerusalem because I'm going towards the cross. And then the disciples uh, just have a bad um, level of social EQ. They, they, their emotional intelligence is quite low. And, and not only do they display poor tact, but poor timing, and it exposes the tragic bent of the human heart that they uh, don't want to look towards suffering. Instead, they want to prop themselves up and have positions of honor and have positions of, uh, of power and admiration and applause and success. And we get that. In our culture, I think that we are uh, obsessed with, 
with status, with fame, with, with being seen in an honorable light from, from others, being admired. And uh, I was looking on the internet this past week, uh, Forbes list of the hundred most influential people. Uh, most influential people. Uh, and this is the list. And I'm going to start at number 10. Uh, so people of honor, people of status, uh, people of success, people that, you know, other people follow. Um, and, uh, and sorry, I, I did look at the Forbes 100 list, but the list I'm going to give you is actually Instagram. That's the switch I made. Sorry. My bad. Uh, I looked at the, the list of people who had the most Instagram followers. Most Instagram followers on Instagram. So these are people of uh, great affluence, uh, and, and, uh, and many people are following them. And so number 10, we have, uh, Taylor Swift, who many of you know, and, um, I was going to sing a Taylor Swift song, but I don't really listen to Taylor Swift. I've got nothing coming to my mind right now. Uh, and then we have Neymar, a soccer player, uh, plays for the country of Brazil. I couldn't tell you which club he plays for. I'm not much of a soc- soccer fan. Uh, but then we have Messi, uh, my kid's f- uh, favorite soccer player, uh, Lionel Messi. Uh, w- number seven, we have Beyonce, uh, lots of followers, lots of influence, uh, number six, we have Kylie Jenner. And if you ask me what Kylie Jenner's famous for, I, I couldn't tell you. Um, and I don't think that's just because I don't follow, uh, I, I don't think many people can tell you what she's, but she is. She's got a, she's got a following. Uh, you got Kim Kardashian at number five. We got Dwayne The Rock Johnson, uh, actor, wrestler, uh, do it everything kind of guy at number four. Lots of Instagram followers. Uh, we have Selena Gomez at number three. And uh, at number two, we have Ariana Grande, singer. And uh, number one, we have uh, the great actor, uh, Chris- Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, well, he's actually a soccer player, but uh, he might as well be an actor, right? Uh, anyways, so th- there we see a list of famous people uh, that have a wide f- amount of following that are held in high esteem, uh, they have high, uh, you know, they're, they're honored by people as they follow them on Instagram. And as you can see, when you look through this list, the list did not include any nurses. It didn't include any caseworkers for refugees. It didn't include any stay-at-home moms or dads. It didn't include any pastors. It didn't include any waitresses. It didn't include any college students. Uh, it included famous people, celebrities, um, for whatever reason. And we sure love celebrities. And by tracking them, grading them, adding new ones to the list and dispensing of old ones, there's new lists every year. We've created a mass, a massive culture of celebrity. Um, and I think it creates a, a bit of envy and desire for us, uh, to be more honorable, to be more successful, to be more recognizable. Uh, and we even see that in, in a lower level with local celebrities, uh, and cele- being a celebrity of some sort has its perks. You have fame, power, control over ad- over others. You got the admiration of others as they look at you. And when you're a star, people assume you're successful, you're smart, you're funny, you got your life together. And achieving celebrity status feeds our famished ego, uh, if nothing else. And so we see that the disciples themselves are are caught up with this idea of celebrity. They're caught up of this idea of wanting a position of honor of wanting to be admired in the eyes of others. And so Jesus is saying, I'm going down. I'm going down to the cross. 
I have great popularity, but I'm not staying there. I'm actually descending uh, to this unpopular place of the cross, and the disciples can't hear it. And instead, they're just concerned with getting a position of honor and status. And, you know, I get it. I'm a pretty competitive guy. In fact, when uh, about 20 years ago, uh, you know, I was living at home, and I had, uh, I have, I'm the middle son. I got an older brother. I got a younger brother. And my older brother, Mike, uh, was stronger than me for quite a while. You know, he was beating me up for a couple of years already um, by, by that point. And, uh, but I still had an edge on my younger brother. Uh, but I could tell, and I'm about three and a half years older than my younger brother, I could tell that my window of uh, having that edge was closing. And, and there was one day where he was, you know, trying to prop himself up against me to show that he was stronger and better. And, and, uh, and he uh, invited me to have him an arm wrestling competition. And so we got down there and uh, we went for the arm wrestle. And I, I remember thinking, like, I'm going to lose. And this is, this, is, this is a bad day when your younger brother beats you in an arm wrestling competition. But, you know, that old man's strength maybe became a little premature and I was just able to, to, to power through and, and put his wrist to the table and I beat him. But I knew in that moment, it was likely maybe the last time I was going to beat him. And, uh, and so, you know, when the last time I had my younger brother in arm wrestle? 20 years ago. I, I'm going out on top. I knew my window was closed, and I wanted that bragging rights for the rest of time. And so even to this day, uh, my younger brother Mitch asked me when we see each other, hey, you want to have an arm wrestle? And I say, no way, man. I'm, I'm going out as the champ. Um, so, I, you know, I'm just like most people. I got a competitive streak. I want to go out on top. And I'm not going to give my younger brother the edge. Uh, but we see kind of that, that flesh, that carnal reaction from the disciples too. They, they're elbowing each other, wanting the best seat. They wanting to be the best. They're competitive. Um, and in Mark 10, the competition, the competition between the disciples is on. The disciples want to win and they want to be powerful. They want to be the best. Uh, and they have a case of maybe celebrity envy. And this creates a rift in their fragile community of disciples. And, and the other disciples uh, start to be indignant, it says. They're upset and angry. Uh, because why should James and John get positions of honor? What about us? So Jesus just finishes telling the disciples the kind of death he's going to die. The disciples should have been devastated, maybe appalled, maybe grieving. And instead, they're worrying about themselves. And they start trying to figure out who's got the best position out of all the disciples. And so when the ten heard it, they began, like I said, to be indignant. They were angry at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. For the last 10 chapters of Mark's gospel, we've been going through, Jesus has been training his followers to understand what it means to follow him. That language of discipleship that we've talked about. Follow me, he says. And the following leads down before it leads up. Down, Jesus came down from heaven to earth uh, to experience the world's suffering and pain. Down into the neighborhood of leopards and demoniacs. Down into sharing meals with ordinary sinners. Down into life in a painfully flawed community. Down into spiritual poverty and persecution. Down into unspe- unspectacular 
uh, displays of mercy and forgiveness. We've seen it all in the book of Mark. Jesus has been leading them down into hidden and marginal places to serve little people. It's the anti-celebrity path. But apparently the disciples still don't get it. Ten chapters later, they still think Jesus should lead them straight up into glory, straight to power, straight to honor, straight to fame, and they're missing it. So then we get to this story of a guy named Bartimaeus. And this is a seemingly unrelated story, but as we should know by now, Mark does nothing by accident. He puts things together in a very specific order, specific way, drawing themes together to help us to see something or understand something that maybe we've missed. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call to him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? So remember, this is the same question he asked the disciples. And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, Let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. He followed him on the way. And there we see that discipleship language again, that this blind man Bartimaeus got up and followed Jesus in a position of a disciple towards Jerusalem. Now, Bartimaeus. Something we have to understand going on here. There's so many layers that Mark is bringing together. Bar is an Aramaic word, and bar means son. Uh, and Timaeus is a Greek name. And the Greek has the meaning uh, of... We, we see the meaning of the Greek name, and we'll get to that in a second. Uh, but, but this reads, son of Timaeus, is how we could read it. Um, and... And we see that in the Greek, it actually does the same thing when it's talking about Jesus. And and Mark actually flips the title of Jesus at this moment in the story, and he gives it in an order that he doesn't use anywhere else in Mark, because he's trying to help us to see something. Uh, Normally, we see Jesus, son of David. uh, But the actual Greek language here says, son of David, Jesus. And then we see, son of Timaeus. And what's going on here is that Mark wants us to see more than what's on the surface. He wants us to have eyes to see, one of his themes, what's going on. We're going to come back to this in a second. He says, call him. And they called to the blind man saying to him, take heart, get up, he's calling you. And I've always thought this was pretty mean. You know, Jesus uh, is walking by and there's a blind man who's begging on the side of the road and he's calling out to Jesus. And and it seems very un-Jesus-like to not even move towards the blind man. Instead, Jesus kind of stands there and says, Hey, uh, tell the blind man to come find me. Like, it seems like a very cruel <laughs> game of hide-and-seek. Like, Jesus, why don't you go to the blind man? Uh, but I think Jesus is inviting him to take action. Uh, he's inviting him to respond. Uh, and, and Jesus isn't doing all of the work for him. He's going to do something for him. Uh, but here we see another picture of discipleship, another uh, idea of this faith meaning trust and action. And faith is not just belief, and we've talked about it, but action, and it's breaking barriers. And, and we see that 
the blind man Bartimaeus, much like other people we've encountered on in the story of uh, the Gospel of Mark, are breaking barriers to actually have an encounter with Jesus. Bartimaeus didn't just think and believe that Jesus could heal him from afar, but he had a physical response. He, he showed perseverance. He displayed his faith by getting up, moving towards Jesus. And we see that he's displaying his faith by yelling out. He yells out, son of David, have mercy on me. And the crowd tells him to shut up, be quiet, stop making a scene. And it says he shouted all the more. He shouted louder. And so he didn't even allow the peer pressure of what other people thought of him to stop him. He didn't, he didn't expect to be honored or celebrated or viewed as having it all together by the crowds, but he was actually willing to, to put himself in a position of ridicule to pursue Jesus, to faith, to move in faith towards Jesus. So everyone's telling him to be quiet. He's shouting all the, the louder. He's getting up. He's moving towards Jesus. And, uh, and this is something that he would have said every day when he, when he said to Jesus, have mercy on me. You know, as people pass by, he would have said every day to everybody, have mercy on me. You know, give me some money, throw some change my way. Uh, but this time it, it comes as a plea for healing. It comes as a prayer for faith. And I wonder how many times do you and I change our course or waver in our conviction because of what the crowds are saying around us, what people are saying around us. How often do we allow the opinions and the views and the perspectives of other people to stop us from pursuing Jesus and faith. I think in some way we're probably all people pleasers to a degree. Uh, and, and, I, and I would testify and, and confess that even uh, myself, uh, that I can feel myself uh, not being as faithful and action-oriented towards Jesus as I would like to be, uh, depending on how people are feeling and the, the views of others around me. But Bartimaeus doesn't let that stop him. And it says, he gets up and leaves his cloak to go to Jesus. He gets up, leaves his cloak to go to Jesus. After he yells loud, uh, Jesus invites him to come towards him and he leaves his cloak. And if we think about this, uh, the Greek says, throwing aside his cloak. And do you remember where we've heard a similar phrase or an idea to that in the, uh, the Gospel of Mark? Well, we talked about it at the beginning of Mark. Uh, Jesus called Peter and Andrew and it says they left their nets and went to follow Jesus. And then Jesus called James and John and it says they left their father, their family, and they went to follow Jesus. If we remember last week in Mark 10, Jesus invites the rich young ruler to leave his possessions and follow him. And the rich young ruler is grieved and he's sad and decides not to. And here we see Jesus says, come to me. And the blind man leaves his cloak. And the word used for cloak is not just a daytime uh, cloak, but it's probably something more like a blanket, uh, like a nighttime cloak, something that you would, you would sit on or you would sleep with. Uh, and this is something that as a blind man, as a beggar, he would have put on the side of the road. He would have marked his territory, his spot. He would have marked a spot as a blind man and picked that spot to be uh, the place where he begged. And so in some ways, this cloak represents his security, his way of life, his comfort, the, you know, what he's known day in and day out for a long time. And people would throw coins and they would land on his cloak and he would collect them off his cloak. And it literally symbolically connected, uh, this cloak was connected to his means of livelihood, his place of security and comfort. Even though, you know, we say it wasn't ideal, it was all that he knew. And so he threw aside his cloak. He threw aside his... Uh, you know, just his normal way of life and pursued a change. He 
He took a risk. And this makes me wonder if he would have received sight if he was unwilling to leave his cloak. What what if Jesus said, tell the guy to come here? And uh, Bartimaeus said, I'm blind. I'm just, you know, come over here, Jesus. And he just begged Jesus from where he was, but didn't actually take any faith, faith risk at all. I wonder if we would have a different ending to the story. How many times did Jesus invite us to experience a new life, a transformed life, but we cling to what is familiar, what is comfortable, even if it's not ideal, it's maybe what we know, and we don't want to leave the familiar, and we miss out on the opportunity that we might have with Jesus because we just want to stay where we are. I think Bartimaeus encourages us to be risk-takers, to actually let go of the familiar, to not miss out on the chance and the opportunity that Jesus might transform our life and give us a new kind of life. And so he asks Bartimaeus the same question that he asked the disciples, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? And we know if we compare Bartimaeus' response with the response of James and John, we see uh, just a drastic difference. Jesus asked James and John, what do you want me to do for for you, and they, they reply with, we want a position of honor. We want a position of fame. We want success. We want to be admired. And then Jesus asked Bartimaeus the same question, what do you want me to do for you? And his response is, I want to see. I want to see. I'm blind. And we know that blindness in Mark is not just a physical condition, although the, the miracles that Jesus does are physical miracles, but Mark has a second layer that's been going on the whole time where the, the blindness is a symbolism uh, for the blindness of disciples or other people that don't actually see the truth or the reality of who Jesus is. And so Bartimaeus says, I'm blind and I want to see. It's a loud and significant symbol that Mark's bringing of spiritual blindness. And, and I, I would wonder if Jesus asked us, what do you want? Would we respond with, um, I want to see? I, I want to experience life the way you want me to experience it. Or would we want Jesus to come and get on our agenda like James and John did and said, I want you to give me fame and success and popularity and, and whatever it is that we desire. You know, that wasn't Bartimaeus' response. I want to see clearly. I have a need. I have a need that I can't fulfill. And Jesus, I'm in desperate need of you. And we talked about the importance of dependency last week when we, we looked at the theme of receiving the kingdom like a child. So Bartimaeus is an example of receiving the kingdom like a child, being dependent on Jesus, taking a, uh, breaking barriers, taking a risk of faith, answering the question that Jesus asked by asking Jesus to heal him of his blindness. And, and this is the story of Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. Now, I didn't tell you what the word Timaeus means, because Timaeus is a Greek word, uh, not only a name. And so Bar means son, and Mark translates that for us in, in his gospel because his readers were Greek readers. And so he had to translate the Aramaic so they understood this is Bar Timaeus, means son of Timaeus. But he didn't have to translate Timaeus because they knew Greek. They knew what the name meant. Uh, but you and I, we don't know what it means. Uh, and so there's a, there's a depth of meaning here that we're missing out on unless we actually understand the meaning of the name Timaeus. And what does Timaeus mean? Well, Timaeus means honor. The disciples, James and John, they wanted fame. They wanted honor. Uh, and Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And they say, we want honor. 
Give us the most important seats in the kingdom. Make us famous. And Jesus responds in the story of Bartimaeus by saying, let me show you what it means to be a son of honor. This blind man, this beggar, this man stuck in poverty, this person that is desperate for me, this person that actually doesn't care anymore what the crowds and the people think of him, is a true son of honor. And so Bartimaeus, the son of honor, leaves his cloak, follows Jesus on the way. And we saw the first half of Mark, this word immediately is used 42 times. And there's this fast-moving, action-oriented book where Jesus is gaining popularity, gaining accumulation of fame, and there's growth, there's more people following him, and that theme is starting to change. All to say, Bartimaeus, the son of honor, doesn't leave his cloak to go for a nice stroll with Jesus. He doesn't leave his cloak to go um, and, and have this position at his right hand, this position of status. He leaves his cloak and joins Jesus on the way to the cross. He doesn't take a shortcut for honor and status. He denies himself and courageously follows Jesus, breaking barriers or not caring anymore what people think of him. The other disciples wanted the shortcut and they wanted fame. They wanted just to go from here to here to here to here and they wanted to keep going up and up and up and up. And Jesus saying, that is actually not the way to honor in the kingdom of God. This is a true son of honor. Bartimaeus shows the disciples, James and John and the other disciples, what it means to truly have honor and status in the kingdom of God. We recognize our desperate need for him. We see our spiritual poverty, our spiritual blindness. We recognize that we're in need of a touch, in need of healing, in need of transformation. And when Jesus asks us what we want, we respond by saying, we need you to transform us. We need you to help us see clearly. We need you to help us understand better. And then we courageously deny ourselves and we follow Jesus on the way to the cross. Why? Because we'll see that the resurrection and the ascension and the honor that is given to Jesus only truly comes by journeying with Jesus on the way through the cross. May you be a son of honor. May you be a daughter of honor. May we be people that don't buy into the cultural lie uh, that uh, that, that says we have to be popular, we have to be famous, we have to be seen as successful in the eyes of the world to actually receive honor. May we pursue honor in the kingdom of God, which is achieved, as Jesus said, by not being served, but serving. By following Him from wherever our place of status or honor might be towards the cross, descending towards Jerusalem, towards the cross, so that by the hand of God, he might raise us up and give us honor in his kingdom. Amen. I want to leave you guys with a few going deeper questions. And as you, as we move into our uh, group's emphasis and, and moving towards uh, gathering together in smaller groups this summer, I would encourage you to gather uh, as church at home groups. You know, find another family, find a couple of families that uh, you're able to uh, participate in church community with, watch the sermons and worship together on Sunday mornings, and then reflect on the going deeper uh, questions together. And so this week, some areas uh, to reflect on. Uh, some of the disciples left their nets, some left their family. The rich young ruler didn't leave his wealth. Bartimaeus left, uh, leaves his cloak. Uh, what do you feel like is holding you back from following Jesus on the way? Secondly, what does honor look like in our culture? What about in the kingdom of God? How might the pursuit of honor in our world rob 
you of honor in God's kingdom? In what ways do our social media habits contribute to a distorted sense of honor? How might we be healed from our blindness to see more clearly? If Jesus were to ask you, what do you want? How would you answer him? Maybe take a minute to to reflect on that question this week. You know, if Jesus was truly asking me, what do I want? How would I answer him? And then depending on how you answer him, reflect on what that might tell you about your heart. Uh, And if there's anything uh, that you need to change or repent of uh, in terms of aligning with with what God might want for you uh, in his kingdom. So I hope these questions help you dive a little bit deeper. Uh, Let me end by praying uh, with you, for you, and uh, we'll see you soon. Uh, So Father, we thank you. Um, We thank you for the great news uh, about all the groups that are launching this week. And, and Lord, as we uh, move through these next, uh, these next few weeks, uh, may people take the courage and the risk of actually stepping out like Bartimaeus to, to join a group, to get in community with other people, to move from isolation into community. And Lord, we pray that you would just bless those group leaders uh, as, they, as they are leading their various groups. And may this be a, a moment in time where you bind us and unify us as a church community. Lord, we thank you for the story of Bartimaeus. Um, we recognize that many of us pursue success uh, and, and being viewed as successful uh, in many ways in our culture. Uh, but often, Lord, your idea of success, your idea of pursuing honor looks far different in your kingdom. Lord, would you give us a heart and a thirst and a hunger uh, to, to be successful in your kingdom, to actually descend from positions of status, to serve uh, others, uh, to be dependent on you, uh, and Lord, uh, to, to live our lives as people who exist to serve you and others and not look to be served by others. Uh, may that be something that marks us as disciples of Jesus. May you give us the strength, the courage, and the faith to follow you on the way. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.